Heavenly Father, we thank you that you came not to call the righteous but to call sinners. Lord, we thank you that you came to call people just like us. We thank you, Lord, that you have the authority to forgive sins and the willingness. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have forgiven us. We thank you that even though we came to you as sinners, not as the righteous, that through the blood of Jesus you have turned us into the righteous, not through any efforts of our own, but entirely through the work of Christ. Lord, we want to thank you for the gift of faith that we have in Christ. Now, Lord, I just pray that you would open up your word to us and help us to learn mercy through what you're teaching us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. How would you like to live there, eh? One of those places? Uh, Mostly around the 16th century, monasteries like this popped up all over Europe. Uh, The monastic lifestyle was a life of separation from the world, as you can see. Um, It was a life of Christian community, a life of prayer and reflection, uh, without, of course, the possibility of those pesky neighbours popping in all the time. Um, To get into these places, the residents used to have to lower down a rope ladder so that you could climb on up. Uh, There was no getting in unannounced. There was no neighbours popping in for a yarn or to borrow a cup of sugar. It's strange, you know, how, how these people who took on the name of Christ built these sorts of places when that's not at all what Christ ever intended for us. And I just show you these pictures because, well, we mightn't live in stone fortresses on the tops of cliffs, but many of us do cut ourselves off from other people just as much. We cut ourselves off from people who really need to have the company of Christians. You see, it's very easy for a Christian to become like a Pharisee was in Jesus' day. You'll, you know how Jesus was constantly arguing with the Pharisees. You, you can't help but notice that as you read through the Gospels, that they're always just at one another. But a Pharisee was literally a separated one. That's what Pharisee means. Um, they, we, we think of them as the religious leaders, but there was actually a lay movement. It was just good lay people trying to be the best that they could be for God and they felt, right, well, the best way that we can do this is to separate ourselves off from everything that, that isn't holy. They separated themselves off from everyone and everything that they thought might make them unclean. Ooh. You probably don't tithe. Now, we know God wants to give our money to, to him. You, you don't give your 10%. I'm not going to mix with you. Oh, you, you don't wash your hands properly before you have your meal, so I, I can't sit down at the table with you. And, and you, well, you're a tax collector. You work for those filthy Gentiles and, and you handle their money and it's all for them and I can't even be in the same building as you. They separated themselves off. Their intentions... I think were probably generally good. That is, they wanted to be holy, but they went about it entirely the wrong way. For them, it was all about satisfying religious traditions and they missed the whole point. The point is, we should be striving for godliness. Being separated from the profane does not make somebody holy. Godliness makes somebody holy. And we only get godliness from God. 
We can't develop godliness ourselves. It's something we receive from God. And godliness, because it, it is us taking on the attributes of God, one of those attributes that we must take on to develop godliness is mercy. And these guys, the Pharisees, had absolutely no mercy in them. They missed that part completely. And just like the Pharisees, it's all too easy for us Christians to separate ourselves off from the world. And I'm speaking from experience here, okay? It's easy to to say this stuff. We mightn't do it intentionally. We certainly don't do it with malice. But it does happen. And it just happens. You see, when you become a Christian, you'll want to hang out with other Christians. Yeah? Yep. And the more time that you spend with God and the, and the more um, the Spirit of God starts dwelling inside of you, the more you'll enjoy God's family. As you become a child of God, the more you will enjoy being with and spending time with other children of God. When you become a Christian, all of a sudden your priorities in your life begin to change. Have you noticed that? I hope they're starting to change. If your relationship with God is healthy, you'll want to go to church. If your relationship with God is healthy, you'll want to go to Bible study. You'll want to get involved in some Christian fellowship groups. When your relationship with God is healthy, you'll crave the word of God to read it and to hear it taught. You might get involved in various Christian ministries. The people you enjoy spending time with will increasingly become, guess what? Other Christians. That's natural. And it is the sign of a healthy relationship with God. And as we strive for holiness, often we find ourselves becoming increasingly distant from the world. But the problem is... We Christians seem to have a way of Christianising everything. We've probably got a bit more trouble doing it in a small country town, but if you go to a big city somewhere, you can just about um, get involved in in every domain of your life in some kind of Christian organisation. You can have Christian schools, Christian hospitals, Christian coffee shops, Christian financial planners, Christian bookshops, Christian clubs, Christian sports competitions, Christian gymnasiums, and it just goes on and on and on and on. Now, none of these things are bad. Don't think for a minute that I'm preaching against getting involved in any of these things. But the trouble is that the more we get involved in these things, usually the more increasingly distant we become from, I'm going to say, sinners, in inverted commas. Now, For me to use the word sinners, I want you to understand that we were all once sinners. Okay? The Apostle Paul used to talk of himself as the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners. And until we come to that understanding, uh, we're not going to understand what the forgiveness of God actually means for us. And that's understanding I come to of myself. Without Christ, I am the worst of sinners. But with Christ we have forgiveness in his name. Okay? Now think for a moment of your circle of friends. How many of them are not Christians? Jesus said, 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he said this because the Pharisees had just asked his disciples a question. They they said to him, listen, why why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Right? These Pharisees are the ones who wanted to separate themselves off from everyone else. They wanted to separate themselves off and say, hey, we're pure and holy. We we couldn't possibly eat with the tax collectors and sinners because that will make us unholy. And Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, when Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, the word sacrifice was referring to religious tradition. He wasn't at all against living a sacrificial life. That is, giving up home, possessions, family, money, status, whatever it takes to be obedient to God. Because Jesus taught that time and time again that a sacrificial life was crucial for his disciples. Jesus used to say things like, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. He's talking about a sacrificial life about giving up everything to follow Jesus. And he talked about that often. And so that is critical for you and I, to live a sacrificial life. But when Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, he was quoting from the prophet Hosea. The prophet Hosea, in chapter 6, verse 6 of Hosea, said, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God, rather than burnt offerings. You see, Hosea was living in a generation and he was writing to people, he was writing God's word to these people who would go out and they would lie and cheat and steal and kill and then they would think, right, I'll present the sacrifice and I'll be all good again and then I'll go and do the same thing again. I'll keep lying, I'll keep killing, I'll keep stealing and then I'll present the sacrifice next time the sacrifice is due. He was talking about having a religious tradition without a loving relationship with God and with others. And even today, in some traditions, people think, right, as long as I can go to confession once a week, I can do what I like after that. Um, In other traditions, it can be, right, well, I'm baptised, I've said the sinner's prayer, I'm good for all eternity, I can do what I like now. In other traditions, it's, I've been to church this Sunday, I've worshipped Jesus, I've got some good lessons for life, I'm good to go. In some traditions, it's lighting candles or repeating prayers or eating the bread and the wine or hearing a meaty sermon or having a four-hymn sandwich or enjoying a real jump-up, jivey concert-type atmosphere. No church that I know of is devoid of religious tradition. And every church has its own traditions. And anything that we do here, whether you enjoy it or whether you don't enjoy it, could become for you an empty religious tradition if the love of God is not in your heart. There's nothing wrong with tradition, but if tradition is what you depend on, instead of having this living relationship with the God who loves you in your heart, then you've missed the point.
We are not saved by religious tradition. We are not saved for religious tradition. We are saved by the mercy of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Pharisees believed in and depended on the traditions that they had. And they believed that they were made holy and right with God. And that by keeping their traditions, they could keep themselves holy and right with God. They were wrong. The Apostle Paul understood this very well because Paul actually used to be a Pharisee. He used to be a very zealous Pharisee. And when he became a Christian, later on he wrote a letter to the church in Rome and he said this. In Romans chapter 11, he said, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Get that. God has consigned, he has actually decided that every one of us should be disobedient. Whoa. Who here is fathers, like it's Father's Day today, who here wants to decide that your children will be disobedient? Does that sound like a good plan? No. But you know why God did that? It tells us why. It's so that every one of us could experience something about God. Mercy. Every one of us can experience mercy. God decided that, hey, I'm going to let every one of you be disobedient. Why? So I can show you my mercy. Isn't that that fantastic? That he would allow us to go off the rails so that we can experience his mercy, so that every single one of us can experience his mercy? No one can be holy without experiencing the mercy of God. Paul also says in Romans chapter 3, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know if you've ever thought about a good thing about sin, but here is one good thing. It is the great leveller of humanity. Because not one of us are without sin. No one is righteous without Jesus. Not one. Until we are made righteous through the forgiveness and mercy of God. Do you understand this? You're getting this? I want to either see a nod or a shake. I need to know whether I need to explain it more or whether you've got it. If you've got it, you've got that we are only made righteous through God. Doesn't matter whether you're brought up in a Christian family, doesn't matter where, whether you've been an absolute rotter and then on your deathbed been confronted with the gospel and given your life to God. Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We here today worship God not because we came to him as a righteous people but because we came to him as sinners. I came as a sinner, you came as a sinner, we can come no other way. And every Christian 
is a recipient of God's mercy. Isaac Newton, who penned that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, this is, this is what he's talking about when he said, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like who? Like me. And until you realise that you're wretched without Jesus, you're not in a fit state to come to him. We come to Jesus as wretched, pitiful, utterly sinful people. We come to him, though, with a special type of heart, a repentant heart, a heart that says, I don't want to be wretched anymore. I want to be made righteous by the blood of Jesus. We need to see ourselves how we really are, sinners in need of a saviour. And once we're saved, we need to still see ourselves as we are, People who were once sinners who are only righteous because of what God has done for us. We've got all the elections happening at the moment and you see all sorts of unflattering photos of them in various places. Um, Watched the Gruen transfer the other night, very funny show, talking about how they create spin and um, how they, they people will actually... Apparently there's a room which has the word segregated or something or other in Parliament, some, some word on it, written on it like that, and they actually walk right around, take a few extra turns to avoid walking past that room, just in case anybody actually snaps a photo of them with this sign right beside them. But the story is told of a politician who, after receiving the proofs of a portrait, was very angry with the photographer. And he stormed back to the photographer and he said, "'This picture does not do me justice!' And the photographer replied, Sir, with a face like yours, you don't need justice, you need mercy. With a life like mine, I don't need justice, I need mercy. We all need mercy. Justice is where we get what we deserve. Mercy is where we get something that we don't deserve. And as we receive mercy, we must also give mercy. And one of the ways we give mercy is to share the message of the forgiveness of sins. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. He did not come to call the righteous but sinners. For this causes me to ask myself the question, who do I mix with? Who do we mix with? Consider your circle of friends. Did you know that I guess what I've seen in life is often the most effective evangelists are brand new Christians. Has anyone ever noticed that? I've got a few nods of the heads. Well, I guess there's a whole heap of reasons why this is. I'm going to share two of them with you. Firstly, They've just experienced the amazing mercy of God. It is fresh for them. They've just experienced it and they want others to experience it as well. That's one reason. But I think the second reason is a very practical reason. It's because they have a whole heap of friends who are not Christians. They have friends who are desperate for God to intervene in their life and lift them out of their current state of hopelessness. They have good friends like that. And God uses these brand new Christians to introduce their friends to Jesus Christ. We can see it in Matthew. Jesus called Matthew to follow him and he did. 
But then the very next scene that we find in the gospel is we find Matthew inviting all of his friends, all of these sinners to come and meet Jesus too. There's a lesson here for us. If you're a new Christian, go hard. Invite your friends to church. Invite your friends to Bible study. Invite your friends to share a meal. If, if you put on a do, invite your Christian friends and invite your non-Christian friends. Get them together. But there's also a very important lesson for the rest of us here too. For those of us who have been Christians for a long time. There's a lesson for those of us who tend towards a monastic lifestyle. For those of us who really very rarely mix with sinners. I've got a one word message. Mix. Wondering who to have over for Sunday lunch? Try inviting somebody who will be shocked that you even thought of them. And when they seem reluctant, insist that you would actually really love them to come. Invite the town drunk, the immoral neighbour, the dishonest businessman or the blaspheming workman. Invite them to church, invite them to lunch, have them over to your place, love them. And sometimes it might be a bit more difficult to step onto, into their domain. Be quick to receive an invitation from such people back to their place. You see, today, you and I are Jesus' hands and feet. Yeah, it might be uncomfortable. But because we've received mercy, we also need to show mercy. Mix with all types, mix with sinners, mix with saints. Always shine the light of Christ into whatever dark place you set foot.